It's time for your weekly dental evolution session of fun and educational information for dental professionals. Dr. Tony Sirachi from Momentum Management and Emmanuel Recupero from Dental ED are proud to present dental education to you in their unique blend of casual conversation. It's high in energy and high in value. And now, over to our hosts. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the new session here in Dental Evolution. It's actually part two, session two. I'd like to welcome everyone. Last week, we had an amazing turnout of people who actually watched our last broadcast. We had 1,100 people watch that last broadcast we did. That is huge. It's amazing. I was only expecting a couple of hundred, but we got 1,100 people in total watching those session, that last session that we did with Tony Sirachi. Now, Tony did an amazing job, I must say. She's amazing, amazing. And we had 700 comments. That's just overwhelming. Tonight, we're going to continue with this amazing audience that we have and we're going to continue with the clinical examination part. Thank you, everyone, as well, for tuning in last week. And I'm sorry, Emmanuel, but I have to correct you. We had 1,600 people watch the video wow. last week. And I know because I had people contacting me, telling me that they were watching it two or three times, that they were watching it with their team members as well. And I am just so thrilled that you got that much out of it, that you felt that was something that would help you is working with your team members and showing them. So thank you, everyone. We started with the clinical examination because to be perfectly honest with you, that's probably the thing that is most familiar. Okay. And I wanted you to have that knowledge under your belt so that you, and you could get in the next day with doing things a little bit differently with your patient. Now we're stepping back and we're going back to the, what we call the pre-clinical interview, where we're going to be finding out who our patient is and what our patient wants, why they've come to us. Now, what I find is that so many dentists skip this spot. They skip it. And what happens is this is where all the magic happens with your patients. I promise you, if you do this properly, and you learn to ask the right questions of your patients and listen to them, this is how you're going to get case acceptance. Now, that's something that I know that a lot of you will not believe me, but I promise you that this is where, as I said, the magic happens. So I had people contacting me, telling me that they really loved using the shade guide and that is really going to help them engage their patient in talking about cosmetics, which I think is sensational. Other things that I heard were that people like the perio examination and being, I can see that we've got some comments here, that being systematic and using words that open the patient to discussion. Thank you so much for sharing that, Maria. I really appreciate it. What else did you get? What else did you get out of it? I want to know what else was valuable to you? It's interesting, Tane. What do you think about that one? I like that. Oh, absolutely. I believe that the patient, as I would have said last week, the patient, it's more important that the patient knows what problem they've got than, than you knowing what they've got to begin with. Okay. You are diagnosing your patient as they're walking through the door. 
But you've got to educate that patient and co-diagnosis is the way that you're going to be doing that. So fantastic comment. Having the DA to prompt, just systemize, fantastic. Yep, shade guide as well, co-diagnosing, letting the patient diagnose and understand better. Fantastic. So excellent stuff, guys. Now, so now what I want to ask is what do you feel you need more of after that session? I know we went think went through things pretty quickly. What do you need more of? Is there something that we need to go over a little bit more in another session that would be useful for you? So let's have a look. Involving the patient was something that people have said. I'm looking at Facebook down here as well. Emmanuel, you want to call out the comments? Sure. TMJ had to develop a rapport with the patient, give value to the patient through a checkup. During head and neck examination, informed patient what we're looking for. Very good. Excellent. So it sounds like people got lots out of it. Now, is there anything we need to give you more information on. This is our forum, okay? So you need to ask me for what you want as well, not just me give you stuff. So the more that you can help me by telling me what you want, the better this is going to be for everybody. Excellent. <laughs> Wendy, you love my little detector. Love it. Okay. Fantastic. All right, guys. So you can keep putting things in the chat for me. Tell me what you need more of, but let's move on with this week's content. Since everyone's on the mention, people are mentioning about TMJ, we thought that we would do enough, another little offer to everyone. Changes in the dental world require a change in the dentist's approach. What does that mean, Tiny? Okay. So actually, I'm going to throw this at you, Emmanuel. I know that you travel all around the world with dental ed and that you see so many different things and often countries like America might be a few years ahead of us and what they've experienced. So what sort of changes have you seen in the dental world that you think are coming to Australia or are already here? Digital technology is a very big thing. It's no longer coming, it is already here. So digital technology has advanced so much that pretty much a lot of practices now in certain parts of the world are fully digitized from CAD CAM all the way through. They don't even do impressions anymore. It's communicating with a lab through technology. That's one of the things. That's one of the things. Look, I'm sure that all of the dentists online here will know that there are so many different materials nowadays. There's so many different treatment options. There is just so many instead of just the old filling or pulling teeth out. So what we need to do is we actually need to change our approach. Our treatment plans are much more complex. We need to educate our patients more. And we have this thing called Dr. Google, where our patients are going to go and check out everything that we suggest well and make sure that we're not lying to them. Okay. So we need to make sure that we are building a relationship with our patient from the moment they ring up. Okay. So not from the moment they sit in your dental chair, it's from the moment they ring your practice or from the moment they email your practice or fill in an online booking. We need to be building a relationship and we need to have positive touches and positive experiences with our patient right the way along the line. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about that. Okay, now this is one of my favorite little quotes. And it's something that I really suggest you have a think about, that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. 
Now, if you're happy with what you're getting at the moment, if you're happy with the relationships that you build with your patients, with the acceptance of treatment from your patients, then to be honest with you, there's no reason to change. You might already have this totally down pat. But if you want different results, I want you to open up your brain, open up your mind and look at trying to do things a little bit differently. And I'm a huge advocate of slowing things down in the practice. And I think that we can get so caught up with having to see a patient every half hour and filling our book and making sure that we're producing so that we can pay all of the bills that we forget about the most important person in the practice. Who's that most important person, everyone? Come on, I should have a hundred answers up on Facebook right now. Who is the most important person in the practice? Are we getting any manual? Yeah, we're about 30 second delay. So we'll see what comes through. But I would say the, I don't know, the patient, someone just said. Yes, you think? 100% the patient, guys. Okay. Now in Momentum, we have this little thing called a win triangle. Can you all see my triangle? Okay. So you can see top of the triangle. This is the side in here. And I truly believe that you need to have a win-win for every process and every system that you put in your practice. And the patient must be right up the top of the triangle. That is the philosophy that I believe you need to go into your practice with a win for the patient first and everything else will then become easy. Now, if the patient is at the top of the triangle, there's two other groups of people in the practice that need to also win. And that is in this corner, the team must win. So systems in your practice must be solid enough, must be really good so that the patient is winning, the team is winning, and also so that the business wins. Now, guys, it doesn't matter whether you're an associate dentist or a business owner, the business that you work in needs to make money, okay? It needs to make money or it's not going to exist. So this is something that we have to think about as well. And as long as your treatment plans have the patient's best interests at heart, there is nothing wrong with presenting the treatment that they need. We need to be very careful not to get our heads in the way and start thinking about other things that stop us from diagnosing our patients properly. So that's something I really want you to think about. Okay. So at Momentum Management, we believe in comprehensive treatment. And that's what I'm teaching you here. It's all about comprehensive treatment. I'm not saying that drill and fill dentistry is, it doesn't have a place. I believe it does. But drill and fill dentistry is not what I'm talking about here. Drill and fill is more within, out. you just fix the problem and then you say goodbye to the patient. Patient might come back, patient might not come back. That's, it's a model. It is one of the models out there, okay? But what I want you to know is that we do talk about comprehensive treatment. Now, I did ask you for your homework to think about what is comprehensive treatment? So I want you to start putting some comments in for me, please. What is comprehensive treatment? And let's have a little look at what you think it is. Because if you don't know what it is, how do you get your patient to say yes to it? And that's a really in question. Oh, I like that feature, Emmanuel. Well done. Well, no, is that all right? Comprehensive treatment. 
So has anybody thought about it? Has anybody given it a little bit of thought? Is I know that I need to go in when I'm looking at a patient, when I'm doing my clinical exam, like we taught you the steps last week, when I'm doing that examination, I need to go in with my philosophy of comprehensive treatment in my brain. Okay. We're still 30 seconds behind, I'm sure. So we're not quite getting anything. Okay. Thank you, Lena. Treatment that addresses all the dental need of the patient. Right. Uh, all aspects of dentistry, aesthetic and functional. Treating the patient as a whole and just not as a set of teeth. Fantastic. I love all of those. I love all of them. And this is the thing is it's not one size fits all. Comprehensive treatment is what it is to you and what it is in your heart that you believe comprehensive treatment is. So fantastic. Helping the patient achieve the best possible dental health. Sensational. So none of that is wrong, but you need to go in with that in your head when you go and you diagnose your patient philosophy of comprehensive treatment with everybody. Okay. So this is my philosophy. It might not be right for you, but it's right for me. Okay. So, and I have defined it and I've defined it and I've written it up so that my whole team know what I'm talking about as well. And it is the type of treatment that you would offer your own family members. Treatment which should last at least 10 years or more without the need for anything other than preventative maintenance. Now, I believe that if I go in with my headspace, with that in my head, and that's how I diagnose and present treatment to somebody, I believe that I'm doing the right thing. And to me, it's all about doing the right thing by the patient. Okay. By the patient is my little triangle again. So your homework after the session is to go and think about your philosophy, really think about it. And I want you to define it. I want you to write it down and then I want you to live and breathe it. Okay. Because if you are living and breathing it, then it's not going to be so difficult for you to diagnose comprehensively. Now, something I do want to share with you is that you can do a little test. If you've been in your practice, maybe more than two to three years, what I want you to ask yourself is, I want you to ask yourself, do you think you treat comprehensively already? And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you here. I thought that I did. I thought that I gave my patients all of the options and that I was treating comprehensively. And then somebody asked me to review my existing patient emergencies. And if you are treating comprehensively and you are doing your job properly and patients are saying yes to that comprehensive treatment because you've educated them properly, then you should have very few existing patient emergencies because you will have predicted when emergencies are going to happen and you would have encouraged your patient to get that problem seen to before it became an emergency. Now, that was something that totally changed my mindset. And what I found here was I was presenting the treatment to the patients. I was seeing it, but I was presenting it to them in a way that they couldn't say yes to. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more later on. So you might think you're presenting comprehensively, but you may not be presenting in a way where they can say yes. And what I'm going to say here is just the classic example of 
Mrs. Smith, you've got a crack in this tooth on the lower left. It really could do with a crown, but we can keep an eye on it and don't eat on that side. And we'll check it in six months' time and it'll be okay. That's so true, Tony. I've been to the dentist before I even started dental ed, and I do remember echoing those words. We'll keep an eye on it. And next time you come in, we'll check it and we'll see how we go. Why is that the case? When it needs to be repaired and it needs to be repaired. So if you're going to Mercedes and they find a crack in your fan belt, they're not going to say, leave it until next time and we'll repair it. I'll just change it. That they expected you'd probably get upset if they didn't. So uh -huh. why doing this in dentistry? Why do you think patients don't want the optimal care here and, and not have things fixed? Totally agree with you, Emmanuel. And this is one of the things that I'm talking about is it's all about mindset. And it's the way that we present to the patient and the words that we say. So we're certainly going to go into this in more depth later on. But I hear so many people say to me, you know what, Tony, I plant the seeds, I plant the seeds. And do you know what I'm saying, Emmanuel? You're not a goddamn farmer. Stop planting those seeds and That's actually true. tell the patient what they need. Okay. So we didn't go to uni for five years to plant seeds. That's what I think anyway. Okay. So that's something I want you to think about. I want you to think about how you are presenting that treatment. And I bet you that you are letting your patients off and we let our patients off for a number of reasons. And I'm going to go through those in a moment. Now, I really want you to know that I am in no way a dentist that believes in over-treatment. Okay. And to be perfectly honest with you, for those dentists that work with us in Momentum, if I see over-treatment, like a tiny occlusal that's getting a big crown put on it, I actually choose not to want to work with that type of dentist, okay? For me, it is all about ethical dentistry. So when I'm talking about getting the patient to say yes, I don't mean getting the patient to say yes to treatment that they don't need. So please don't think that, okay? This is about treatment that they need. And I promise you that every single one of you have got enough patients out there that have got the need for dentistry, more comprehensive dentistry, that you don't need to go finding treatment on people. There is plenty in your books. Okay. So please know that whenever I look at in a, in a patient's, in a practice's history of their patients, I see so much potential there. Okay. So you don't need to go diagnosing things that are not necessary. All right, now let's get into a little bit of this. And this, this might be a little confronting for some of you, but I want you to stay with me because I'm going to tell you that I personally have suffered from every single one of these points that I'm going to go through with you. And we're going to talk about the factors that dissuade or stop dentists from diagnosing comprehensively because there's definitely factors that cause us to do that. And Manuel, as just a general dental patient, what would you expect of your dentist to be doing? Do you know that there might be some factors that might stop them from telling you what's going on in your mouth? I don't. As a patient, I wouldn't know what factors are preventing them from talking about things that are going to be in my mouth. What if you did know? I would be a little upset. And we wouldn't I would lose confidence in the dentist. Interesting. Interesting. I know that as Human beings, and all human beings feel this way, we like to avoid rejection. We don't want to be rejected, okay? So as a dentist, 
we don't want to be told no to. We don't like that. We want to make our patients happy. We want to make sure that they keep coming back to us and that they don't decide to go to the practice down the road. So this is something that when we are building a practice, we can often maybe not diagnose something or maybe present it in a way the patient can't say yes because we think we're being nice and we're going to go soft on them to start off with so that we don't lose them as a patient. So we don't like being rejected. And I'm sure a lot of you here know that we have in our primitive brain, this is where this all starts, is that when we were cave people and we were living outside and we were living in tribes, in groups, and we did not want to get rejected out of that group. Why? Because if we got thrown out of the group, we could very possibly be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Okay. So our brain is hardwired to stop us from being rejected. So we don't put ourselves in situations where we can get rejected. And that's our primitive brain protecting us. So that's one of the reasons why we don't diagnose comprehensively, which I think is pretty amazing. I really do. When you start to understand these things, you know what's going on in your head and you recognize, then you're going to be able to grow and build yourself. Okay. So the next thing that we, that might stop us is concerned that the patient won't accept the treatment, concerned that the patient will say no, and will then go down the street, have coffee with their friends and tell their friend that, can you believe how much money this dentist told me I needed to spend? Oh my Lord. Oh okay, my so Lord. Oh my Lord. Wait a minute. I've been appointment at the hairdresser. I'm giving you my hair tips today. Yeah. And my nails done. It looks like. Absolutely. And that's another reason why we don't do it. Third reason, fear of being seen to have an ulterior motive. Okay. And, oh, that if I had a dollar for the amount of times that somebody said to me, oh, Tony, you just want to go on your next overseas holiday and you've all had it, you've all had it, seriously. And I usually turn around and use a bit of humor here and I'll say something you know what, Mr. Smith? No, it's not my overseas holiday. It's actually my new Mercedes. I've ordered it and I need to pay it off. I just give it back to them, seriously. And they don't know what to say. So then that just stops. But it's something that you've got to use your own personality in dealing with this sort of thing. The next one is a big one. Fear of confrontation. I'm going to be honest with you. I actually like confrontation because I've learned how to deal with confrontation. But most of us as dentists can be a bit introverted. We can be a bit shy and we don't like to put ourselves out there too much. So confrontation is really tough. So it's easier to not diagnose something rather than have a patient turn around and say, Tony, I don't believe I need that. What are you talking about? My last dentist didn't say that. I don't want to be faced with that sort of conversation. So I probably just won't diagnose the treatment. Okay, I know I'm giving you extremes here, guys, but I want you to think about this and think about what you do because I can tell you, like I said, I have done every single one. Feeling I'm not worthy of diagnosing such expensive treatment. Now that's for certainly for newer graduates that feel like somebody else is better at doing it. Okay, concerns that the patient can't afford the ideal treatment, so we just won't present it to them. It happens all the time. Fear of failure. If you think that this crown might be too difficult or this implant might be too difficult, so I'm just not going to offer it. 
No. If it's going to be too difficult for your hands, please refer it. That's what you need to do, not offer it. Okay. So that's something you need to think about. And fear of being inadequate, not coming up to the scratch, up to the mark, and maybe thinking that everybody else does better dentistry than we do. We all feel this at some stage in our careers. So I'm going to say to you that the bottom line here is that we often don't diagnose comprehensively because we don't have confidence. And confidence is key. It is key to everything in dentistry. And I think, Emmanuel, you will back me up on this one, that often the most successful dentists are the confident dentists and the dentists that can use great verbal skills rather than the clinically brilliant dentists. Is that correct? I would agree. Like we've conducted, uh, we've educated or trained thousands of dentists over the 18 years in hands-on courses and with some very good speakers as well. And what I've learned over the years is that you may be clinically brilliant with your hands, but you may not necessarily be successful in your practice. And sometimes in most cases, I've seen dentists who are not clinically brilliant, but they are very successful in their practice simply because they know how to communicate. Going to hands-on courses and learning up and getting skills and feeling confidence may not necessarily reflect a successful practice if you don't have the confidence to actually deliver what you learn. And that's what I've learned. So you don't have to be brilliant with your hands to be successful. It's in fact, sometimes the other way around. Totally agree. Now, I want you just to reflect on all of those little points that I've got up on the screen there. And I want you to think about who are those points about? Who are you focusing on when you are in that sort of headspace? You're focusing about you. You're focusing about you. And what does the patient expect you to be doing and what should you be doing? You should be focusing on the patient, okay? So this is one of the biggest tips that I can give you in case presentation and treatment planning is take the focus off yourself and diagnose as if that patient were your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, maybe not your mother-in-law if she's anything like mine. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> she could be watching. Love you, Denise. But diagnose as if they are your family members. That's my biggest advice to you. And stop having the focus on yourself. But just like Emmanuel said, it is about getting confidence. And I do believe that you do need to get yourself skilled up and have clinical confidence, but also communication confidence as well. All right. So when do we sabotage ourselves? All right. When do we sabotage ourselves with our patients and there's three main areas and number one is in the exam where you just don't see it and that's something that I see a lot of clinicians will if they don't feel confident with a certain treatment they won't suggest it or let's say they don't do implants but they still have patients coming in with wobbly dentures, wobbly cobalt chromes, but they don't suggest getting an implant retained denture because they don't provide the service themselves. Now, guys, that's just not fair. It's not fair to your patient. So you either go and get skilled up so that you can provide it yourself or you refer it off. Or if you own the practice, then maybe you can bring somebody in who has the skill, skills to complement the ones that you don't. Okay. So that's something that you need to look at. And if you are in a practice with other dentists, I know as a business owner myself, 
that I would want work referred internally to others who do the type of work that I don't do if, if you feel that you can't handle that case. Now, so I'm going to tell you something where I'm guilty of this, okay? Let's look appointment planning. The dentist overlooks vital and available options. Now, I'm not proud of saying this, not proud of saying it at all, but I know that I do it and I've done it in the past and that now I know that I have a tendency to it. I certainly don't do it anymore, but I hate endo, guys. I hate endo. I can't stand endo. You get it? Don't like it. All right. So for me, I will, in the past, I have maybe spoken about endo in a way that sort of slants getting an implant as being better because I actually do implants and I like doing implants. And I believe for me that I'd prefer to have an implant myself rather than an endo. That's a big call, guys. That's a big call. But can you see, I'm putting myself in there and not thinking about the patient. So I'm being very vulnerable here. I'm telling you my bad stories, okay? But I am willing to share that with you to let you know that we all do it. We all do it. And it might be that you don't like doing, you don't like doing a, I don't know, maybe an inlay. And so instead of doing the inlay, you're going to do a composite because you feel that's better in your hands. Is that really the right thing? Are we not diagnosing properly? And is that in our treatment planning? We're not even seeing it. Okay. So this is something to ask yourself. And in the case presentation itself to the patient, absolutely, like I said before, that the dentist may fail to present or the dentist presents in a way that it's hard for the patient to accept. Just like I said with that crown, okay, the crack in the tooth. And we say, but it'll be okay, just don't eat on it and, and we'll check it in six months' time. So these are things that I really want you to realize that you can absolutely sabotage yourself. And just because a patient doesn't say yes to your treatment doesn't mean it's all about money because it's not. Money is often a smokescreen. It's often a smokescreen for a bigger problem. And that bigger problem could be something like they're scared, they don't have enough time, or the real one is that they don't trust you. So the easiest thing for a patient to say to you is, oh, Dr. Tony, I just don't have the money. I'm sorry. Finances are really tight. That's the easiest thing for somebody to say rather than say, Tony, you know what? No dentist has told me this before and I just don't trust you. And no, I'm not going to do the treatment. So I know that you wouldn't have many patients saying that to you, but I know that you've got lots that tell you that it's financial. And I can promise you that if you step back and you start taking things slower and you build that relationship and build that trust, that you are automatically going to have more case acceptance. There is no magic formula other than listening to your patient and building a relationship. Emmanuel, I can see you shaking your head there and saying yes. Totally agree. I had that experience. I had that experience before. It was actually during when I started dental work. I went to a dentist and I had a, I had a hole in my tooth, and he recommended a gold inlay at the time. A ceramic inlays were coming in, and I, when he told me the expense of it, I thought, oh, I don't know whether I want it. 
And so I waited and he put a temporary and that broke off. And then eventually I had to have an end up. I was so upset about it because he didn't paint a picture in my mind as to why it was important to have an end life. So I didn't quite see it visually at the importance. If I had, I probably wouldn't have justified it in, in with the price issue. I would have done it, but I just wasn't trusting the whole thing. Maybe it was just, he wanted me to do it because it was, if you wanted money, I don't know the procedure, do I need it? Do I need it? That was the question I had. Yeah. And I think many of our patients have that question as well. And what I believe is that you need to not just plan for your clinical, your clinical works that you're going to do on the patient. So your treatment plan, your clinical treatment plan, of course, you might have three or four different options, but you need to plan for that. But you also need to plan for your communication with that patient. So for me, I believe that you, if it is going to be a larger treatment plan, that you should probably say to the patient that you're going to get them to come back for a complimentary consultation. You're going to work out all of the clinical treatment plan, but you're also going to work out what they are potentially going to object to. And you're going to work out how to handle those objections. And that's what I'm going to go over with you in the next few sessions is actually handling those so that you will be much more prepared when you go in and you present your treatment to your patient. As we've spoken about already is that the patient assumes that you can competently deliver any treatment that the patient needs. They don't necessarily think, oh, this one doesn't like doing endo. So if I need an endo, she's not going to tell me. They don't think about that sort of stuff. They expect you to be competent in all areas. And they also believe that your recommendations are in their best interest. And sometimes they're not because we might have all of that fear stuff going on and that confidence stuff going on. And this is where we need to make sure that you take yourself out of the equation. So totally enough about you. All right. You just need to go and think about what I've spoken about here. I want you to, tomorrow when you're looking at your patient and you're doing an examination, I want you to, uh, I want you to think about what's going on deep down in your brain. What are you actually thinking about? What are you doing in there? Are you being the best version of yourself possible? And are you fully present for your patients? Because that's what needs to happen. And there's your little triangle. So let's now start focusing on the patient. All right. So there's two types of dentistry in my book, okay? And I believe that there is a needs-based dentistry and there is a want-based dentistry. So we can provide patients treatment based on what they need or based on what they want. Now, I'm going to say to you that the based on what they need is an older way of thinking. And it is really based on rapport with the patient, not on a relationship like the wants-based treatment is, okay? Now, the purpose of the needs-based treat treatment is really not identified and it often just helps with an immediate need. So it might be a broken tooth or a patient rings up and says they need a checkup and clean. So that's an immediate need, okay? And in that style of dentistry, the communication is quite minimal. There's only a bit of small talk. We don't get into deep feelings or emotions. Okay. And when I say the word emotions to a lot of dentists, they go, oh, God, I don't want to get into emotions. Guys, if you want to build relationships, you need to start getting comfortable with talking about emotions. Now, not just guys, I'm going to say girls there too. Okay. I mean, guys as everyone. Okay. So 
The focal point of the needs-based dentistry is that it usually just helps with a particular need, like that broken tooth or somebody who's in pain. And it is really event-oriented. So it's, I'm going to say it's the older style of dentistry. It's a bit more drill and fill. What I'm teaching you to be is more about wants-based dentistry because people buy what they want, not necessarily what they need. Now, I've probably got people going, oh my God, she's talking about selling. She's talking about buying. Oh, I'm switching off. Okay. That's okay. I understand that. I understand how you feel, but I need to be honest with you that we are all selling all day long and selling dentistry is really educating your patient to make the right choices. And I know that's what you would like to do, to educate your patients to make the right choices. That is selling dentistry. So wants-based dentistry is about getting your patient to say yes to the treatment that they need. And it is usually conducted with lots of communication. Okay, somebody can't see the video, Emmanuel? Video is working. I can see okay. it on secondary screen. Oh, good. So the communication is there's lots of talking by the patients, lots of talking and lots of listening by the dentist. And what we are trying to find out with the patient is we're trying to find out what their emotional motivators and their emotional concerns are. So an emotional motivator is what has brought them to our practice. What has made them make an appointment? Why are they with us? And not just because I've got a broken tooth. It's actually the emotions behind it. And that's what we need to keep asking questions and we need to keep listening to our patients until we get these answers. Now, the other thing in here is we want to find out what their concerns are. Now, concern doesn't mean like it did in uni that we've got a chipped tooth. A concern is actually the flags with things that we've heard in the conversation that might actually stop them from saying yes. Okay, the things that we've heard in the conversation that might stop them from saying yes. So once we know what the patient's motivators are and their concerns are, then we are in a much better position to present treatment to them. Now, in Momentum, we do this. We have a great big long flowchart formula to do this. I've actually popped the, the link for, if you would like the flowchart, I've popped the link up in the chat bar here and I will ask Rebecca to also, also pop it up on the Facebook chat. And it is a flowchart which will give you some ideas of how to actually have that conversation with the patient and to help them say yes to your treatment by building a relationship. So once we've gone through the relationship building formula, we will have much more success at presenting our treatment and getting our patients to say yes. Now, I am going to say to you that everything that I'm talking about is probably sounding a little bit overwhelming at the moment. And you're probably thinking, oh gosh, can I do that? How am I meant to understand this? It's quite normal that you're feeling a little uncomfortable at the moment. 
and that you need to understand that it takes at least 90 times of doing something new before you will become comfortable with it and before it becomes habit, okay? Before it becomes integrated as part of your, as part of your repertoire, okay? So 90 times you need to do things. So you need to learn to ask the right questions and you need to see 90 patients asking the right questions before it's going to start feeling comfortable. Now, my suggestion is also is to role play. And I know I'm seeing people grimacing and going, oh, yuck, 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 role play. But a role play is one of the best ways for you to learn and learn where there's no judgment. Now, also, I want you to know that your patients do not know that you're trying to build a relationship with them and use a relationship building formula. They have no idea. So it doesn't matter whether you do it in all the right order, in all the right sequence or not. If you do one or two small steps in that formula, you're going to be more successful than you are now. Okay. So I think that's something that I really want you to have patience with yourself and understand that there are stages of learning that you need to go through. And there's one stage though, that I want you to be very aware of. And that's quitting. Don't quit guys. You can be whatever you want to be. And you just need to keep going and you need to have the mindset to make yourselves the best version of yourselves possible. All right, next slide, please, Emmanuel. Okay, so once we've gone through the relationship building formula, what we will find with the questions that we ask is that patients will give us their idea of what treatment they want. Let me say that again. They will give us their idea of what treatment they want. Now, just like we were getting the patient to diagnose themselves, co-diagnosis, this is very similar, that we get them to tell us what they think is best for them. Now, they're not going to tell us that they need an all-on four. They're not going to tell us that they need a full mouth rehab. No, they're going to tell us in their own words what they want. And we must always give them what they want. And they'll say yes to it. All right. They will buy what they want rather than what they need. Now, if they want to go and buy a big flat screen TV, they will go and buy it over the top of dentistry. If they want to go and have their hair done and their nails done, they'll do that over the top of dentistry because it's an emotional attachment. You need to find out the emotions with your patients. And that is going to make you much more of a winner. Next slide, please. When are we there? And then I'll get you to ask me some questions. Okay. This is an interesting slide. I just want you to think about whose idea is the best idea. Click it again for me, please, Emmanuel. My idea, of course. Okay. So every patient's idea is the best idea. So how do you make it their idea? You listen. You shut this up. You zip it. Okay. And you let them talk. And you let them talk and you let them talk. And obviously, if you are running your book at 20 minutes for every appointment or even half an hour for every appointment, you're not going to get that experience. So my comprehensive examinations are an hour and a half with no scaling. Now, I couldn't do that to begin with. I was doing an hour and often I'd finish 10, 15 minutes early and then I would sit down with my DA and I'd go over, what could I have done better? What could I have said differently? And we learned in that way. 
So I believe you need to make sure that you've got an hour for your comprehensive examination and you and your DA need to work together as a team to make this the best experience possible for your patient and also to make sure that you get all the information that you need so that you can present the treatment to the patient with what they want rather than just their clinical needs. So once you know what they want and then you know what they clinically need, you need to tie the clinical need to their emotional want with a knot and you tie it together by listening to them, but also by using their idea as the best idea. So I know a lot of this is probably sounding a bit like gobbledygook to you at the moment, but I need to give you the information before I go into the actual questions in the next session. Okay. I've got one here. Would you do the comprehensive exam every six months? No, I actually would do the comprehensive examination. Usually I will do it, then we'll complete the treatment. They would go into hygiene for probably two years. And then we would do what we call a status exam where we would bring them back and do a comprehensive exam again. So the short answer is probably about every two years. But let's look at it is that if you diagnose comprehensively and you get the patient to say yes to your treatment, using my definition, all they actually need for the next 10 years now is preventative care. So that's what I mean by your decisions, your clinical decisions and how you present to people is going to be based on your philosophy of care. And my philosophy is different to everybody else's philosophy and it has to be your philosophy. Great question. Thank you. Okay. The relationship building formula. I need you to click a link. Like, just like Emmanuel last week, we had so many people asking for the resource that I put up that I nearly had to go and employ somebody as well. He was more generous than me. I'm not. This time I've set it up so that you'll get it automatically sent out to you. So there's a link that you need to go to for Infusionsoft. It's in the chat bar and I will make sure that I post it underneath here a little bit or just as soon as we finish the session. Fantastic. Okay. Next slide, please, Emmanuel. We're nearly finished, guys. So I just want you to, re to remember from tonight that the goal is for you to get your patients to talk and for you to listen. Next slide, Emmanuel. And I love this one. Do not forget that you have two ears and one mouth and that you should use them in that proportion. And start listening to your patients more than talking to them. Emmanuel, I'm going to hand it over back to you. And I'm going to say thank you, everyone, for attending tonight. I know this is a bit heavy. We've spoken about some mindset stuff and confidence, but these are some things that you need for you to excel. Thank you, Tony. A wonderful presentation as normal. I hope everyone's had a great time tonight, a bit of confidence and a prosperous practice as well. So that is really our aim here. And we will achieve this with your participation. So everyone can learn at their own pace here. I have some questions that I can take and we can answer those for you if you want. So we can go a minute or so with a couple of questions if you want. And me and Tanya are more than happy to interact in this session with you. Tony, are there any final comments that you want to make as well? Cheers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
And that's it for another session of Dental Evolution. Dr. Tony and Emmanuel invite you to follow them on Instagram and Facebook via Dental Evolution World or visit them at MomentumManagement.com.au or DentalED.com. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us and we look forward to having you listening again in our next session. 